0: Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. I'm Arif Dean of Mahai Sports, and today, once again, joined by Peter Baugh The Athletic. The return of J.J. Jerez will be coming soon, but he's still trying to figure out this whole father thing. So we're going to give him a little more time here. Um, He's got a deadline. I don't know if it's a trade deadline or a later deadline, but we'll have him soon. But in the meantime, that J.J. is not back. But the other one is because the Avalanche just traded for a terrible transition. Jack Johnson (laughs) from the Chicago Blackhawks, something that Peter, you and I, and even JJ have spoken about since September, the return of Jack Johnson at the trade deadline. And here we are. It has happened. But the surprising part is the Avalanche are trading Andreas Engel into the Blackhawks for Jack, not a conditional seventh rounder or something crazy like that.
1: Yeah, I was, I was surprised that um, that they decided to trade Anglin. He, I think he's been pretty solid for, for the Avs this year, but I think this pretty much shows – I don't think the Blackhawks – my sense is that they were not expecting much, if anything, for Jack Johnson. They wanted to do right by him and send him to where he wanted to go, and that was Colorado. Um, so if if Colorado was just going to give him – they would have taken whatever for it. So I think what's pretty clear is that uh, – one, the Avs trust Jack Johnson more than England. And two, the Avs probably never trusted Andreas England as good of a story as he's been to play in a playoff game. And yeah. so they added a guy that um, people can debate whether or not he should be trusted. I I think if he plays the way he did last year, he should be. But they, they acquired a guy who clearly the coaching staff trusts and um, thinks can play in those situations. And Jack Johnson's an interesting case because. His, his advanced numbers are, are really, really bad this year, like, like very, very bad. But I think a lot of that is because he's playing for a really, really bad team. Like that impacts things. He's playing 20 minutes a night in Colorado. He's going to be playing much more sheltered minutes. Um, and so you, you've got to think that he's probably still capable of doing the same things he did last year, which was filling in if there's an injury in the playoffs and playing, playing 10 minutes a game or, or whatever he played.
0: Yeah, I mean the the biggest thing is it's not just sheltered minutes in terms of the amount of ice time he's playing, it's sheltered minutes in terms of competition. I mean, yeah. we all remember we all remember opening night. We all remember, you know, Jack Johnson, the lone guy in a Blackhawks jersey partaking in the huddle as they watch the banner raise to the rafters and you know, you get all that hoopla out of the way the day after they all got their rings and Jack was able to be a part of it. And then lo and behold, opening draw, Chicago Blackhawks have their top line and their top D pair of Seth Jones and Jack Johnson. He's not going to play that type of role with the Avalanche. He's absolutely not. Last year, he was, quote unquote, a second pairing guy in the playoffs after the injury to Sam Jard, But really, he was getting fifth, sixth, most ice time. On the abs.
1: He was sixth most. He, six he was, most, yeah, yeah, I should
0: say. EJ was ahead of him, too. So it's very clear that, to me, the avalanche went back to something they trust. You know, sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. We've seen other teams do this. Chicago once brought back Andrew Ladd. I think they brought back Christopher Stieg at some point, like teams like to go back. We've seen Tampa Bay bring back uh, Zach Bogosian after he left to go to Toronto for a year and then came back and rejoined the team. So teams like to go back to those pieces that they trust and they know Uh, with Jack Johnson. It's just a matter of has he completely lost it, whatever it was that he had last year? Has he completely lost it? Is he passed that? Or can he provide the same it he provided last year? Because if he can, then you got, you know, hopefully Kyle McCarr coming back soon. Bowen Byram's healthy. Josh Manson's healthy. You have Sam Gerard healthy. You have Devon Taves healthy. Eric Johnson, obviously, is the one wild card right now with his health and one. He'll be back. Uh, but you'll have Jack Johnson playing with the same set of guys he was playing with last year. You know, this time... EJ's out instead of Sam Gerard from the playoffs, and obviously he has chemistry and knows both Sam Gerard and EJ, so it's not like any of those guys are new. Basically, the bands back together, the top seven from last year, your main six plus Jack Johnson is your number seven. Uh, the only difference is uh the reason why it was a little bit puzzling for me is because I always thought that number eight, maybe even number nine spot would be Andreas Engelin, but it, it goes to show that they're sticking with Jack. And then you got Brad Hunt as, as the number eight guy. Let's call him the Ryan Murray replacement. Well, and, 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 and your D.
1: we also have to wonder if the abs are done. I mean, I think Eric Johnson's injury, we don't know the timeline, but it doesn't necessarily seem it, it, who knows when he's going to be back and how he'll look when he's back. So it wouldn't shock me if the abs go try and add another more solidified, defenseman a guy who they would trust as like going into the playoffs with him as as one of their top six defensemen and then you have jack as the number eight defenseman because i think that's probably the ideal role right is if jack johnson's your eighth guy heading into the playoffs, you've got backyard brad who can play eighth or ninth (laughs) you've got (laughs) you've got uh you've got eric johnson who you don't really know what his health situation is i'm sure they're internally they are have more of a sense of that that they're not telling us um, and then you've got McDermott, who I think is a valuable presence in the locker room, but I think is also probably not someone who's ready to play in a playoff hockey game, especially no. of the caliber of the games by the end of the playoffs last year with the way Tampa Bay and Colorado were skating around.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Whether you want to call Jack the number seven or the number eight guy, to me, he's your fourth most he's your fourth best left-handed or left D guy that you want to play. Granted, Brad hunts a lefty, but he's been playing on the right side like he was yesterday because of the injury to EJ. But I kind of, I think you're, I think you're good. You, you're on, you're on to something here with the, with the extra defenseman, because you know, right-handed defensemen we know are kind of a luxury in the NHL. There isn't a lot of them to go around. and And when you have them, you, you know, you're kind of fortunate. And the avalanche last year, their top two right-handed defensemen for most of the season were Kel McCarr and Eric Johnson, and then they went out and traded for jo- uh, Josh Manson. And that was before this year, where it's very noticeable that EJ, you know, has taken not a step back where he's useless, but he's taken a step back compared to last year. His offensive numbers, his ice time, his general role has taken a step back from where it was a season ago, where you know you can see the Avalanche on the left side are are ready to rock. You know, you got. Devon Taves, Bowen Byram, Sam Gerard, And when you need that next guy to step in, when an injury happens, like what happened to Gerard last year, you got Jack Johnson or even Brad Hunt. But on the right side, it seems like you got Kel McCarr, Josh Manson, Eric Johnson on the third pair, who's now injured, and then Brad Hunt who can play there. So it feels like there is a hole there if Eric Johnson's not ready or if maybe Eric Johnson, like Jack Johnson, becomes the number seven, number eight guy. You never know, but... I think you're on to something there. I think there, there might be a right-handed defenseman spot that they're looking for. And I want to say Scott Mayfield, who I think you mentioned to me once uh, is a right-handed guy. So maybe somebody of that caliber is is some, someone they can bring in.
1: Yeah. Uh, Now the tough thing with that is that the, I don't think the Islanders are going to sell. They won again today. I don't know if they're shut out
0: the Winnipeg jets. Yep.
1: Yeah. I don't know if they're, it doesn't really feel like that's a front office that, if you're going out and getting Bo Horvat, it doesn't <laughs> feel like they're going to be in the mood to yeah. to sell. But you never know. I, uh, I I think that there are there are guys out there, and if the price isn't right for any of them, then maybe you roll in with with Jack Johnson as your seven and hope Eric Johnson's healthy. I mean, it, it's going to be interesting. I'm curious how they're going to handle all of this. But I I think that it's at the end of the day, the Avs trusted Jack Johnson more than they trusted Andreas Anglin. They viewed yep. him as a slight upgrade and this is a time of year where if you can make you you guys, everyone can debate like if if it is a slight upgrade but I think they probably looked at it as like on the ice maybe it's a wash, maybe even Andreas Anglin's a little bit better but in the room Jack Johnson carries a lot of weight. He I mean you saw how the guys reacted the first night of the year when he got to be part of the banner raising ceremony like this yeah. was a really really well-liked guy really well respected um I, I think that probably they kind of viewed it as this is someone who our room will really respond to who can be a leader um who brings some of those intangibles and yes maybe you're giving up andres england but clearly they thought it was an upgrade and it was a one-for-one swap so The Blackhawks are trying to do right by Jack and the Avs saw it as an upgrade.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's the same reason why they went out and got Matt Nieto. There was a clear hole that Matt Nieto, someone of a Matt Nieto caliber player should have filled. And who better than a guy that you know will fit into the locker room, you know, will be welcome into that room. You know that you know you know what to expect from him assuming he hasn't dropped off which Nieto's numbers have shown he hadn't dropped off since leaving the Avalanche so similar idea they went out and got Jack this is the role he's going to play they know what you you know what you're going to get from this guy you know you can just dust off the number 3 that he wore a season ago give it to him and be ready to rock and roll so uh that's obviously the latest of the Avalanche trades we'll get into the rest of the NHL trades here in a little bit but let's start with obviously they went out yesterday the afternoon in the afternoon after Or Sorry, before the Calgary game earlier that afternoon, they traded Shane Bowers to the Boston Bruins for goaltender Keith Kincaid, who, veteran of 168 NHL games, most known for uh, being the goalie that uses a whole bunch of emojis on Twitter. (laughs) So uh, that's what Keith does. Uh, I've heard he's a great guy. He's a great locker room guy. He's a great personality. But what he does is he provides depth for the Avalanche goaltending, and to acquire him is going out the other way is obviously Shane Bowers, a Boston kid. Um, well, Halifax uh,
1: kid went to Boston university, went to
0: Boston. Yeah. I yeah, went to Boston university, I should say, but uh, let's start with kind of your thoughts on that deal.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that I, I saw people on Twitter asking me, could the abs have gotten more for Shane Bowers? Like why do this now? And the fact of the matter is, is that Shane Bowers was on waivers earlier this year and no one claimed him. So it's, it's easy, I think to say, how did they not get more for a guy who's a former first round pick? I think inter like fans kind of view their own prospects as more valuable than they probably are. And I think this trade is an example of that. I think I personally really want to see Shane Bowers do well. He, he's had just a really rough, rough luck with injuries. I mean, his first NHL game, he gets hurt a minute 46 in. that's brutal. Third shift. Um, Yep yeah, I'm glad he at least got in a game for the abs and at least has that monkey off his back. But I don't know. I think that this is a a deal I think that doesn't necessarily mean that Pablo Franco's is out longer than initially expected Jared Benner addressed that last night. It's more just to have insurance in case he is. And I think even if I think it's even beyond this current Pablo Franco's injury. I think they just probably were looking at it as. Last year in the playoffs, they were one injury away from Jonas Johansson playing in a Western Conference final game, and they probably didn't want that to be the case again. So they went and added a guy who is is a serviceable number three goalie. I on, I don't know much about his play. He has a nine ten 10 save percentage in the AHL, so he's been fine down there. He's um, He did well in his one game. He played up in the NHL this year, but definitely someone with experience and I think someone that they just probably – internally trusted a little bit more than Johansson or in or at this point.
0: Yeah. And then to correct you on that, it was, it was Ananen that would have stepped into the Western conference final. Yeah. Johansson what did I say? You yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was, yeah. With, yeah. Florida. Johansson was yeah, yeah. with Florida. But yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's the situation that would happen this year. One of Annan or Johansson would have to step in. Not that you're going to win a Stanley cup on the back of Keith Kincaid, but it's an extra body. It's the same reason why, When the Toronto Maple Leafs had uh, injured Freddie Anderson and Jack Campbell, they went out and traded for insurance in the form of, you know, Dave Riddick. Like you just, you want to make sure you have extra bodies in there, not put players in positions where they're going to get completely hung out to dry or kind of in over their head. And not that Johansson and Ananen can't come in and win a game, but you don't want to be in that situation. So there's nothing wrong with shoring up depth. What I noticed from this deal, similar to the Anglin Jack Johnson deal is like, even if it's a seventh rounder, the Avalanche aren't interested in just giving away draft capital. Where we, you know, you look at the Avalanche's depth chart. You look at where Shane Bowers is on that depth chart, and they said, you know, it, it, yeah, sure, it's a fourth string or third string or fifth string, whatever number you want to give him goaltender. Um, but rather than give up a draft pick that could be some kind of an asset, let's just give him a player that we know isn't going to be you know part of the long term future here isn't going to get another opportunity basically a wash same thing with Andreas England rather than going out and trading a conditional sixth or seventh for Jack Johnson on a team that's already very low on draft picks let's just give them a contract out for a contract in and and that's something you're seeing around a lot a, a lot around the NHL for salary cap implications obviously it's a little bit different for these deals cuz these are players that make you know, less than a million dollars can be buried in the minors. Some of them are two way contracts. Some of them are players already playing in the minors. Um, Some of them are players that are bouncing back and forth. Like Andreas England has been, has been up and down this season. So I think it's, it's a case of the avalanche saying if, if we know this guy's not going to be part of it, um, you know, not that they're going to go trade Evan Rodriguez for, you know, a forward, but if these guys lower down the lineup are guys that we don't see, as guys that are going to get in for a playoff game and probably not next season. Why give up a seventh rounder when we can give up this guy? So
1: especially cause the Avs just don't have many picks
0: and they, yeah, exactly. They don't have many picks. So even the picks they do have, like, you know, why trade a fourth rounder for Patrick Nemeth again, when you can trade a guy in Shane Bowers and maybe Boston says, Hey, maybe we can, rediscover something with this player. And even if they do all the power to them, I don't think the avalanche had any intention of finding something in Shane Bowers. So whether he does good or bad elsewhere, isn't going to change the fact that he probably wouldn't have had that chance here. So that's something that I'm kind of noticing. I'm curious what they do the rest of the way, but uh, we'll see. That's two trades, obviously two minor trades. I don't believe that's all the avalanche are going to do. But so far they're, they're busy like the rest of the NHL is there's been a lot of deals, but this is this is the start for Chris McFarland of what should be a pretty wild five days ahead between now and Friday.
1: Yeah, I can't wait for it to be over.
0: <sighs> you and me both. I'm <laughs> just on my phone all the time like, oh, geez. Um, yeah. But yeah, I had a uh, little side story. I had friends visiting for the weekend and they wanted to go skiing or hiking on Friday or Saturday, you know, before the Flames game. And I'm like, look, I can't go anywhere where I'm going to potentially lose cell phone signal and the Avalanche are going to go out and trade for Ryan O'Reilly or something, you know before <laughs> Toronto traded for him. And lo and behold, they traded for Keith Kincaid on that Saturday, which not a big deal, but still, you just you got to be on your phone. You got to be on top of things. So from there, let's move on to the on-ice play of the Colorado Avalanche, who are now 13-2-2 in their last 17 games. Ever since that infamous loss to the Chicago Blackhawks and Jack, yeah, Johnson. Jack Johnson. Yep. Back when there was a little bit of a murmur of, is this team even going to make the playoffs? And the very next game, I think it was the very next game, they came out and beat the Ottawa Senators seven to nothing and have not looked back since. Four losses. It is such a small amount of losses that I can even name them out. They were up three to one on the Anaheim Ducks and they blew it and lost 5 3. They had a one nothing lead against the Penguins and they blew it late in regulation and lost in overtime. They got shut out by the Lightning. And they lost 4-3 to the Lightning. Also in a game, they were up 3-1. So three of the games, you had a lead, and you had a lead late, and you probably could have won that game. And then the fourth one, obviously, a complete goose egg, 5 nothing shot-out loss. But those are the only losses they've had in the last 17 games. They look really good right now. Are they healthier than they were before? Yeah. Are they fully healthy? No. But they look a lot more polished.
1: Yeah, and it's the the next couple games are going to be a big test for them and I think that's going to be really interesting. They have Vegas who's leading the Western Conference and then they have New Jersey who's one of the best teams in the East. Uh maybe we'll see Timo Myers' debut. That would be fun. Um, yeah. but it's it's going to be a it's not going to be an easy couple games, but I think it'll be a good like test of where the Abs are at cuz so far they've the last little bit they've played some good teams, but I think it's been a lot of uh teams that are kind of not necessarily powerhouse teams um which i don't know if vegas is but new Jersey's kind of close to that at this point point. and i think it'll be two good hockey games and i'm excited to see kind of how they how they look in those and then i don't even know what the schedule is after that but they they look like you said more polished i think that just getting some of those guys back and having that depth down the lineup allows them to rest a little more and i think jared bednar made a really good point yesterday about the depth scoring from guys like Malgin and new hook chipped in last night and uh, comfort I guess he's more on the, in the top six at this point, but like some of the g- O'Connor had a big goal recently. Like the fact that those guys are putting the pucks in the net means that the abs can roll all four lines more throughout the, the whole game. So then their big guys aren't tiring out as the game goes on. So I think, uh, I think that all matters. And, um, yeah, I think it's, it's resulted in some good, um, good play by the apps.
0: Yeah. Well, everything you just said, It's not just the next two games. It's the next three because the very next game, Dallas Dallas on the road, the day after the trade deadline, 1.30 p.m. Saturday game. So, yeah, those are three big games. I mean, whether Vegas is a powerhouse or not, whether Dallas is a powerhouse or not, those are the two teams in the Western Conference with a higher points percentage than the Avalanche, uh, which is something you could have said about the Winnipeg Jets just two or three games ago, just a week ago. Um, but the avalanche went into Winnipeg, destroyed the jets, four goals on five shots on Connor Hellebuck, who's one of the best goalies in the NHL. Um, and now Winnipeg is, you know, they've already been in a little bit of a rut and now they get shut out by the Islanders. Like you said, the Islanders won today, the jets are the team they beat. They shut them out for nothing to the point where even the Minnesota wild are ahead of Winnipeg in the standings. Now, obviously Colorado's in the driver's seat on both those teams with the games in hand. So. They're looking really good right now. I know they haven't beaten a lot of teams that are, you know, the top. Obviously, you can only play the schedule ahead of you, but they've built better habits. They're not It just seems like early in this stretch, this 13-2 and 2 run, you still didn't know what you were going to get any, on any given night. You know, you had obviously that stretch where they were just destroying teams. Detroit 6-3, Ottawa 7-nothing, Calgary, Seattle 4-1, 4-1. Uh, or sorry, Calgary, Vancouver, four to one, four to one. You went into Seattle, you needed overtime and the, the shootout with Frankie and Net. but they had those games where they were destroying and it looked like they were going to do the same with Anaheim up three to one. And then obviously the Ducks came back and won. They had the St. Louis game where Jordan Binnington, uh you know, was being challenged by Georgiev in that game. The Avalanche had a multi-goal lead. St. Louis made it close. It still felt like those third periods were an issue. They were having trouble closing out games. They went to Minnesota Kaprizov scored, made it three to two. They had to kind of scratch and claw to close out that game. They They had the Tampa Bay Lightning here at Ball Arena. They had a three to one lead. They lost, I believe, four to three in the shootout. I think it was three to one in that game. So there was a lot of issues with the third period. It felt like they were winning games. They were racking up points, but it didn't seem like they completely had figured out how to get that polished game going. But now it feels a little different. The Calgary game was a big statement one to me after the Winnipeg game because yes, Calgary is a team that's ninth in the West right now and is kind of it's getting to the point where if this continues for another week of Calgary losing and Minnesota and Winnipeg can get some points, it might the West might be all but figured out already because they are starting to drop down a little bit there. Uh, right now, the Flames are four points out of a playoff spot, and the team ahead of them has two games in hand. And they're just, you know, it's starting to look more and more like they're they're, they're going to struggle to get in. But regardless of all that, the Avalanche went into Winnipeg on the road, had this game, came back at home, second of a back-to-back, which they had already dealt with two times earlier. Not only won the game, but they had a two-goal lead heading into the third period. And rather than having that late surge from the Flames, they dominate the third and you need a goalie to stand on their head. They had a strong opening shift to the third period, almost scored only had three shots, but only limited Calgary to five, closed out the game, just a masterful performance in that sense. So they seem a lot more polished. Now Their goalies playing better, which we're going to talk about here in a sec. Something just feels good about this team. And it has to do with the depth, picking it up. It has to do with the top guys having more consistency and it obviously has to do with the goalie.
1: Yeah, no, I think those are all, those are all good points. And it's, yeah, it's certainly starting to feel a little bit more like they did at points last year where it was complete performances, not squeaking out wins, but really kind of dominating teams like fully. And and we're seeing that last little bit and it's it's led to to them kind of ascending in the standings. And now these next few games, I think, are going to be really interesting because those are going to decide. I think you could this is a big week for them because this kind of can obvious there's a ton of games left, but like yeah. this this next little stretch could kind of show which way the winds are blowing of if the Avs are going to be able to kind of keep this hot stretch going and end up with the top seed in the division or even the conference, or if they're going to be more a kind of middle of the pack team in the conference and maybe not have home ice all the way through. Yeah. I mean, the
0: fascinating thing to me with the avalanche is obviously you can't count the COVID seasons because both those playoff formats were a little wonky. Ever since the playoff format changed in 2014, the Avalanche have either been the top seed in the Central or a wild card number eight seed. They've never been in that two, three matchup. They've never, you know, kind of been that middling team. They were always like, you know, they won the President's Trophy in 21. They were the top seed in 22, not the President's Trophy winner, but the best in the West. But in 2018, 2019, they were the second wild card team. So, that middling pack is where you start of sort of see the best matchups. That's where St. Louis, Minnesota was a season ago, Toronto, Tampa. That's where this year, like I saw you tweet Toronto and Tampa. One of them's going to be out. The Rangers and the devils are probably going to play each other in the first round. One of those two powerhouses are going to be out teams that have now traded for Vladimir Tarasenko. The Timo Meyer trade is becoming pretty much official as we're doing this podcast. Um, And the Rangers still want to add Patrick Kane and, one of the teams that traded for either Tarasenko and likely Patrick Kane or the team that traded for Timo Meyer gone in the first round, Tampa Bay, three straight Stanley cup finals, or the team that traded for Ryan O'Reilly gone in the first round. So those are always the tougher matchups. And for the avalanche, if you end up in that two, three matchup, there's a huge chance that you're either playing a Jake Ottinger or a Connor Hellebuck in the first round. And that's going to be a little bit different than facing Nashville without UC Saros a season ago. So This stretch will be really, really big. But at the same time, I feel like a week and a half ago, we were talking about these back-to-backs. And if the avalanche could just kind of come out of this a little bit, you know, staying afloat. And they lost the first one in overtime. They won the next five. They They're 5-0 and in their last five games, five-game winning streak, two sets of back-to-backs. They've swept through them. Um, But it is going to be a big three games here, starting with Vegas on Monday at home at Ball Arena. And then obviously the Devils, which might be the Timo Meyer debut game.
1: Yeah. And tomorrow I would guess is the Barbashev debut game.
0: That's right. Yep. Vegas yeah. also acquired, uh, Ivan Barbashev. They traded a former first round draft pick from 2021 Zach Dean for him. Uh, so players are coming off the, are coming off right now. So we'll see how that goes. But before we get to the trades, let's talk about Georgie. Um, he's been pretty good lately. He's up to a 920 save safe percentage now. His 25 wins are fourth most in the NHL, which, like I mentioned yesterday, is tied with former teammate Igor Shosturkin. And when I mentioned that to Georgie, he kind of lit up a little bit. You saw that look in his eyes when he said, oh, yeah. And, you know, kind of like, I know. (laughs) Um, He looks really good right now. He looks really comfortable, really confident. Uh, You know, getting into that 40 game mark, which is a career high, anything past 34, he'd never done before is kind of where there was a little bit of worry that maybe it's going to start to be too much for him. But it feels like that's when he started to settle in to that early season, early October Georgie form that we saw.
1: Yeah, and I mean, he's top 10 in the league and goals saved above expected according to evolving hockey. And this was someone who the Avs when they traded for him were, were going into the season counting on the fact that he would get better playing more. They thought that he there was maybe some untapped potential there in new york that if he was able to play more games he would be able to find it and so far he has and like you said he's played really well of late i think the team's played a lot better in front of him i think that's made a huge difference like he's made some nice saves at points but he hasn't had to really stand on his head um and and i think that's kind of how this avalanche team was built it wasn't built on needing a goalie to stand on its head it was built on having a superstar cast of skaters and a goalie who's good enough to get the job done behind them. And so far, Giorgio has been up to the challenge and and it's been, I know he's, I'm sure he's enjoyed the the season. He's uh, he, I, I think he and Pavel Francois get along well. they were hanging out in Vancouver. And it was, it's always good when you have a goalie partnership that has kind of some mutual respect or, or friendship. So, so I think that it's been a good fit and he's, uh jared bedner talked about learned from when he kind of had that tough stretch when the with the team had a tough stretch where they i think lost seven of eight or whatever and he he wasn't at his best the team wasn't at its best in front of him and bedner said he's, he's he thinks that Georgiev you learned from that and now that he's kind of being relied on a lot with paulo frances out he's been up to the task
0: yeah absolutely i think You know, the Avalanche were placing, like you said, they were hedging their bet on him getting better as he plays more. But ever since training camp, that's been what Georgie himself has been saying. I just need to play more. And if I play more and if I play every night and, you know, I've had parts during the regular season where I've said like, you know, you guys have four games in six days. You guys have a back-to-back coming. You guys have a this, you guys have a that. And he goes, I'll I'll play, I'll play, I'll play. I want to play every night. I want to play every game. Um, When he had that, you know, what Jared calls that, that mental reset, after playing 12 or 11, whatever it was, straight games, and Frankie came back, um, you know, he came out of that stretch and he was playing well, and I told him, did that stretch help you? He said, it's hard to say because I would have rather played those games too. <laughs> this is a guy that had just played 12 straight games also. So this is this is the kind of guy he is. He's like a low-key competitor, um, you know, not as outwardly about it as, you know, maybe guys like Jordan Binnington are, you know, Former Avs like Patrick Waugh, even Philip Grubauer. He's very low key about his competitiveness, but he wants to be in this position. He's relishing in this role. It's what he's wanted. And, and you know, it looks like the avalanche found something here. Darcy Kemper in Washington hasn't been bad this season, but at five and a quarter million and in a season where every single dollar counts, it's it's looking like the avalanche so far before the playoffs as of now made the right move saving 1.8 million, you know, enough money to get you almost a full Evan Rodriguez. Who's been a, you know, a nice depth piece as well. So, um, so far, so good for them so far, so good for Georgie. Uh, I don't want to get too carried away with him just because I know right now, uh, you know, Frankie's out. We don't know when he's going to come back, but at the same time, if he's not back, how much is Georgie going to play here? Obviously, the more the Avalanche win, the less Jared's going to feel inclined to have to lean on him and really overplay his top guy, which has been the story pretty much all season. The Avs, from their top defenseman to their top forwards to their number one goalie, it's always been if they're fighting for a playoff spot to the end and if they're you know in that race, they're going to have to keep overplaying these guys. But if they can kind of get a little bit of an advantage and an edge, they can start to rest these guys a bit. And now you're feeling like, you know, like a week ago before the five-game winning streak became a five-game winning streak, you're very comfortable throwing in Eustace Annan, who didn't play a game in all of 2022. Hey, you take the Blues who just traded O'Reilly, let Georgie sit for a night. And and won, then Georgie came in and he's won since. So seems like they have a good thing going here with Georgie and, and, and it's working for the Avs, it's working for him, and so far so good.
1: Yeah, I think so far so good is the right assessment because honestly what's going to determine the – whether that was a good trade or not is, is how he does in the playoffs. And we won't know that until, until the playoffs come around.
0: Yeah. Um, Right now in the playoffs, I believe, or right now in the uh, sports books, I should say, as I transition over to this ad read, the Avalanche are still the number one team in the Western conference. And I think number two in the NHL in terms of the odds to win it all behind the Boston Bruins. Uh, I still love what you said last week. I think it's one of the better things I've, I've heard to describe the discrepancy between the East and the West, where the East is so strong and so powerful that it's hard to imagine any team in the West being able to handle them except for the avalanche. But at the same time, you could see the avalanche losing to a Dallas or a Winnipeg or whoever, and that team going to the final and just getting destroyed or, you know, beaten by the Eastern conference. Um, But on that note, just to tell you guys a little bit about Superbook Sports, make 2023 the year you beat Vegas. Superbook Sports gives you the chance every week to go head-to-head with the best oddmakers in Las Vegas. No fancy computer algorithms, no guys across the pond setting lines for American sports. Just the best team of odds makers in the business behind the counter at the Superbook in Las Vegas. Plus, Superbook features some of the best odds boosts and promo bets anywhere. So download the Superbook Sports app or visit superbook.com and start your bet, your battle against Vegas right now. Visit superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. The Avalanche are battling Vegas tomorrow. They might have to battle them in the playoffs, so uh very very on brand for this ad read. But with that, Peter, I want to transition over to the fact that we have seen a ton of trades around the NHL, and now the Timo Meyer one has become pretty much all but official.
1: I think it's um, become official.
0: It has. Okay, great. So the Timo Meyer trade, and and there's a lot that has come back from that. Uh, but let's start with kind of your thoughts on how the deadline's going and and what you're seeing.
1: Yeah, well, I think the the biggest from an ABS perspective, the best thing that has happened for them is that everyone is going from the West to the East. Um, like this is, it's, it's really been kind of a migration of, of Timo Meyer and Ryan O'Reilly, Vladimir Tarasenko, Bo Horvat, potentially Patrick Kane. Like those are superstar level players and they are all moving to the, out of the Avs way. Now there've been some medium sized trades that have kind of led to like, for example, Barbashev going to Vegas and, and, uh, Nino. What's his fate? Dadenov going to uh, Dallas. Nino going to Winnipeg. Winnipeg. Like some notable trades for sure. But I think it's pretty clear that that these East teams are stacking up for a playoffs that is going to be a gauntlet in that conference. And in the West, it's going to be a little more uh, wide open. For I, I don't know if I'd say the Avs to lose, but it's it's kind of like the Avs are probably going to go in with the most talented roster, and no team has has uh, done anything to change that substantially, especially with Mark Stone's injury in Vegas. So I I think that from an Avs perspective, that's my big takeaway. And from a league-wide perspective, it's just that, holy cow, these playoffs in the East are going to be, I mean, it's going to be nuts. Uh, We we mentioned it earlier, but New Jersey or um, either New Jersey or New York is going to be gone before the first round. Those are both teams who have traded away their, uh their first round picks or well new new york traded away a first round pick it wasn't theirs but then you have i don't know you've got tampa and toronto uh, and toronto both of those teams have traded around their first round picks like we're gonna have teams that traded around away first round picks and they're gonna be home before the second round and that's not something you see every year and i think it's gonna make for a really intense playoffs and it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, right now, before we kind of recap these trades, with the Mark Stone injury kind of top of mind, with the West how it is right now, not to get carried away, but when you look at the lineups, even without a Gabe Landeskog, if Gabe Landeskog doesn't play, does that to you say the Avalanche for sure can't win the West?
1: No, I mean, I think it hurts their chances, yeah, I, but it I mean,
0: absolutely they, hurts their chances. Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't know if they're still the favorites. They might, honestly, they might be, but I, I definitely think that I don't, I, I don't think the abs can beat an Eastern conference juggernaut without Gabriel, yeah, yeah, Stag, yeah. but yeah. I, I still think strictly that, to the West. Yeah. in the West, I think that they're, they're good enough to, to get through just about anyone. I mean, it's I've, I've said it a couple of times, like it feels like everyone in the West had their chance to kind of pull away from the abs when the abs were scuffling and just none of them kind of did that. And now you you're seeing other teams going to funks. Dallas has been in a bit of a rut lately. Winnipeg is seems to be struggling right now. Vegas is, I think they've kind of come out of it, but right after the, after stone left the lineup, they were really struggling for a bit. So you're seeing a lot of, flawed teams in the Western conference where in the East you look over there and it's like, these teams don't have any holes. Whereas in the West, it's like their holes kind of up and down the lineup. It feels like yeah. uh, for most of these teams,
0: it seems like two of the better teams. I mean, part of the reason why this is, is two of the better teams in the Western conference last year were Minnesota and St. Louis and Minnesota's hanging on right now. They're in a playoff spot. They look like they're probably going to be in one of those final spots, but You know, they could be third in the central if they, you know, continue to see Winnipeg fall, but they've taken a big step back. And obviously the St. Louis blues, like I'm trying to think, do the St. Louis blues reminds me of the Philadelphia flyers a year ago. Is there another team I'm not thinking of, but the seeing the expectation going into training camp of like, let's build on, what was it? 112 points last year and and taking the avalanche to game six to trading Tarasenko, Mikola, O'Reilly, Barbashev, Achari, Achari um, Pareto I mean, they're, they're kind of honestly,
1: like- they, they in a few ways remind me of the Winnipeg jets last year where they went to the second round. Obviously they got swept in the second round by the Canadians Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. two years ago, but then, yeah, but then last year took a big step back and it just kind of felt like everything went wrong and the vibes were off and it wasn't good. Um, but, but doesn't mean kinda- doesn't
0: mean they don't have talent
1: exactly yeah it doesn't mean they don't have talent and it doesn't mean like i don't know if i'd pick the blues to make the playoffs next year but i wouldn't be shocked if if they did i'm not i I wouldn't bet on it but like if they go out and say o'reilly comes back say they use their three first round picks to trade for a legit top four defenseman like all of a sudden then you're like okay this team's back to kind of being what it was uh two years ago, but I mean, I think what, what you're seeing over there right now is just, it's clear. They they've missed David Perron since the start of the season. A lot of their best players have underperformed. They don't really have a defensive core that uh, makes sense. And now they're kind of running into trouble where they're, they have their coach saying like, yeah. you know, essentially that their best players aren't giving the effort that they need to. And I mean, I think Craig Berube is a good coach. Like I I stand by that, but I don't know if, it makes you wonder like something's off there and and yeah. you wonder how that's going to end.
0: Well, Winnipeg ended with their coach. I mean, they got a new coach, but it was partly because their coach stepped down halfway through the season. Yeah. He was replaced by an interim guy who's no longer there. Um, You start to wonder if maybe Berube, I mean, Hey coaches, their word eventually goes still. Maybe it's, coming to the time where Bay's time in st louis is coming to an end you never know but it is a little fascinating to just go back on topic of like why the western conference is the way it is obviously the avalanche losing kadri burakovsky then having the landis injury then all the other injuries that came with it um kind of brought you know kick them down a notch because you know there's an alternate universe where the avalanche are the defending stanley cup champs like tampa bay was for all those years last two seasons and you know had a great regular season the following year after winning a cup where like right now atop the league wouldn't be six eastern teams with the best points percentage it would be like i don't know boston then colorado then five more eastern teams then the rest of the west but colorado dropping which now they're back in the top 10 which is wild um colorado dropping the way they did plus the st louis minnesota thing vegas coming back but now stone's injured you know, losing out on Timo Meyer at the last minute to New Jersey seemed like they were the two finalists. Um, It has looked good for the avalanche, but just to kind of go through and recap those trades. um, The Maple Leafs, obviously we talked about them getting Ryan O'Reilly last week. The Rangers brought back their own depth guy in Tyler Mott. And then, you know, Vegas traded the Shea Weber contract. It looked like ultimately they were making, trying to get away from the LTIR situation a little bit, open up some flexibility, Chicago acquired Nikita Zaitsev, who's probably going to slot right into Jack Johnson's role. (laughs) Then you saw Boston kind of shift from Guryanov to a couple guys from Washington, Dmitry Orlov and forward Garnett Hathaway in a trade that also involved a lot of draft picks, a first, a second, and a third, plus forward Craig Smith. Avalanche acquired Keith Kincaid for Shane Bowers, like we had mentioned. The Canucks acquired Krastov from the Rangers for William Lockwood and a seventh-round pick. Uh, the Jets getting, like you mentioned earlier, Nino Ryder from the Nashville Predators for a second rounder. So pretty hefty price for a depth guy. Dallas bringing in Evgeny Dadanov for uh, Dennis Gurianov. The Golden Knights bringing in Ivan Barbashev for the prospect, Zach Dean. And then obviously the Jack Johnson deal. And then the Timo Meyer contract, which I haven't found the entire uh, 2023 first round pick. Uh, conditional 2024 first round pick. Shakir Mukhammadulin, Andreas Janssen. The Sharks retain 50% of Meyer's $6 million cap hit. Um, I, I think there was also, who's the other guy that I'm missing? Uh, Andreas Janssen, not Andreas Janssen, Nikita Oktiuk, Fabian uh, Zetterlund, uh, and a seventh rounder. Okay, so here's the full deal. I didn't even notice how much New Jersey was getting. So that's everything San Jose was getting. New Jersey gets Timo Meyer. Scott Harrington, Santeri Hataka, Timur Ibrahimov, Zach Eamon. These are all real people. And Colorado's 2024 fifth-round selection. I don't even know how the hell that ended up in San Jose in the first place.
1: Um, uh, Devin Dubnik.
0: Wow, they traded a
1: 2024 pick for Dubnik? No, 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 no. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, I think so. Is that Cogliano? No, Cogliano was a fifth. Uh, let's I look. Think,
0: did I say fifth? Yeah, t- 2024 fifth-round pick.
1: Oh, yeah, then that might be Cogliano. Okay. Yeah. Um, All right. Yeah. Traded away March 21st. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now it's, wow.
0: That's a lot of guys. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 pieces in this trade. Now yeah. confirmed by the San Jose Sharks. Just wild. Um, the conditional 2024 first round draft pick is the Devils must reach the Eastern Conference Finals in this year or next year and Meyer plays in 50% of the games in 2023, then it will become a top 10 lottery 24 first round draft pick. If those do not happen, it becomes a second. So either way, they're either giving up a first and a second or two firsts. Um, Just a lot of draft picks going back and forth, which the Avalanche don't have a lot of. Um, I think the biggest takeaway, like you said, aside from the fact that the East is stocking up is what's left for the West to do. I mean, Chikrin. Know, Jacob Chikrin, obviously, that's someone that you can see. Patrick Kane looks like he's going east as well. Um, but what else is out there? It looks like it's, it's you know, aside from Jacob Chikrin, it's probably going to be depth guys, you know, which isn't the end of the world. Arturi Lekinen was a depth guy. Josh Manson was a depth guy. Um, but it just looks like there's just not much left for the West in terms of big name. You know, the sexy name is, is no longer available for the Western Conference.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think, yeah, we'll we'll see who's left. I think there's, I mean, there's always people we don't expect to get moved and, and we'll see if we'll see what happens. I, it's five days and <laughs> plenty of phone calls between GMs uh, before, before we, we know for sure.
0: Craig Morgan, who covers the Arizona coyotes, um, a couple of days ago, confirmed something that Elliot Friedman said about the Arizona coyotes potentially looking into trading Nick schmaltz uh, a player that is under term under contract for another few, several seasons, I think three more seasons after this one. And he has one of those contracts that started low in terms of cap number and rise. Uh, well, not cap number, but the salary, the the year over year salary. So it's one of those deals where he was already paid out the lesser amount of years. But after this season, the number only goes up to as much as I believe $8.5 million, 8.45, and then 8.5 in the final two years. He's only making four and a half this year in actual dollars. 27 year old centerman. um, This is someone that fits right in pretty much with what the Avalanche are looking for in terms of a centerman. Uh, What are your thoughts on Nick Schmaltz and the potential of him being available? And if he is, maybe the Avalanche go out for him.
1: I mean, yeah, I think you'd have to consider it. He wouldn't come cheap. Like this is a guy who over the past two seasons has been close to a point per game player and on a bad team too. Like he's, he's put up good numbers on a team that hasn't had much success. Um, so it's definitely someone that I think if you're the abs, you have to at least look at and think about, but I, I think that's just, it's going to come down to price. It's going to come there. There's different levels of teams exploring Detroit. We've seen, Arizona be really patient like Chikrin his name's been out there for what year a year or so and and they haven't been felt the need to move him super quickly like okay <laughs> yeah I mean but I I don't see Schmaltz necessarily being any different like they don't have to there's not a requirement that they've got to move him really quickly so yeah we'll we'll see I I I don't necessarily have any intel like the abs front office keeps who they're looking at under wraps pretty well but i, I think that i don't know it, it makes sense in a lot of ways just in terms of timeline i mean this is a guy who's under contract for the next few years who would answer your question of who's your who is your 2C um you would kind of have your top six forwards locked up for the next little stretch with McKinnon, Landis, Cogrant and uh Lacken, and Schmaltz um but we've got to see kind of what, how the market shapes up, how serious Arizona is actually looking at trading him? Like it could just be they're putting out feelers, but don't have really any intention to. So, it's a it's a lot of speculation for now. But I think that it, it makes it would make sense if if yeah. he is available, and it would cost a heck of a lot. But this is a a time where maybe if you're the Avalanche, you have to look at it as well. This uh, this is our best chance now. Like let's maximize these next few years and go all in.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I said earlier, he was 26. He actually turned 27, three days ago. So right in the prime of his career, he's, he's at that age. So that's a name to kind of just keep an eye on, you know, whether it's the avalanche or not, that's a big name that could be on the move, which, uh, I think Jeff Merrick, as soon as Elliot Friedman told him this right away, mentioned the Carolina hurricane. So if that's the case, then that's another team in the East getting another point per game guy, you know, not as sexy a name as a Patrick Kane or a Timo Meyer. He's better than Patrick Kane at this point, but a very valuable forward that could also potentially go East. You know, if, if, if a trade does happen in the next five days. So just really fascinating to see what's happening there. But, We'll close out the show here with just at the very end. Um, the Avalanche had Calgary yesterday. Nazem Kadri. This is pretty much the final chapter of closing out that story. Uh, his season with the Avalanche, well, three years, but his you know 2022 season with the Avalanche and then signing with the Calgary Flames. Uh, he got his big tribute video, probably the coolest standing go and tribute video I've seen from all the guys I've seen come back to Denver. Um, just, just kind of your thoughts on, on that flames game and having Kadri back in town.
1: Yeah, it was cool. I mean, I think it's like you said, I think that the, it, it kind of was the last chapter of, of that book. Kadri's kind of, he's already had to answer questions about playing Colorado twice. And now this was the kind of the last time to where he really will have to do it about coming back in a more kind of emotional way. Cause yeah. this is the first, um, I think that yeah, it was a it was a special night, and now I think Nico Sturm's the only one left to to get his ring and to yeah. to get his tribute video. So that'll be coming up when San Jose's in town. But yeah, I think it definitely was clearly meant a lot to Kadri, and I think that's the big thing there is for a player to feel appreciated, and that's why they do those things. And clearly, he did. Clearly, that you could see the abs bench like smacking their sticks on the ice. Bednar said he got goosebumps. McKinnon said he got goosebumps. So it was it was a cool moment and definitely one that meant a lot to Kadri. And um, yeah, another another player returning for the first time from the cup team. Yeah. It's
0: pretty wild that they haven't played San Jose at all this year. They have him at home and here coming up soon, I believe uh, five games from now, Tuesday, March 7th. And then they have them twice on the road in the beginning of April. So Which not had- only
1: points in the standings for the Avs yeah. for the taking like yep. that's the sharks are going to be i mean they've already traded meyer they've traded some of their depth pieces too um like, we didn't
0: mention eric carlson that could be the other big name that might head west but that's just a huge trade that would take a lot to get done in the next five yeah. days
1: it feels like some um, of the chatter around that has quieted a little bit
0: yeah i i, I agree with, with on that front uh with Kadri, or sorry to go back to nico Sturm real quick it's just wild that. You know, not only have they like he hasn't gotten his ring yet. Like yeah. Kadri got his ring and finally came back. Now, um, he hasn't got his ring at all. Berkey yeah. got it first week of the season. Jack Johnson was here for the celebrations. Abe Kubel and Kemper when they went to Washington. I think in November they got theirs. Nico's just chilling with us, the Cup ring until it, it's it's going to be March before he. Yeah. is. So pretty crazy. Kadri, um, just to close one more thing on that, his uh, morning skate availability. I thought this was an interesting question, and I know we, you know, we, we went into the playoffs knowing this is probably the the end of it for Kadri. You know, we he changed agents, and there was all that talk of like, oh, you know, Philadelphia is going to throw a whole bunch of money at him, and all these teams are going to go out and throw money at him, and you know, it ended up being the Calgary Flames, a team in the West. But he, you know, there was there was also that time period when free agency started. I want to say July 13. It took number one. It took 36 days for him to sign after that. Uh, but at the same time, there was also that little period where it's like, maybe the market isn't what it was. And maybe he comes back to Denver. Maybe the avalanche are going to try to find a way to clear space for him. But your colleague at the athletic Julian McKenzie asked him yesterday, if it was easier to transition from Colorado to Calgary, or if it was easier to transition the first time when he went from Toronto to Cal- to Colorado. And he said, it was definitely this time going from Colorado to Calgary, because he said, In Toronto, I woke up one day and I got a call and I heard I'm being traded and that was just really hard. He said in Colorado, I had months of an expectation of knowing this is it, I'm going to be a free agent and I'm going to go somewhere else. And I thought that, not in those exact words, but that was basically the message he said was like, the expectation was, I mean, we're not stupid. Kadri's not stupid. He knows what the salary cap is and was in the season he was having. But the expectation to him was all along that like, this is probably the end of it. So, you know, does that mean there was no potential chance of him resigning late in July when the market sort of started to dry out and uh, you know, the devils and the Islanders and all those teams just, you know, weren't going to give him the money he thought he was going to get. I don't know, but I thought that was a fascinating comment from him.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is, I think we, we all knew even in those slower months, like it was going to take, the abs trading away contracts and trying to make stuff work for, uh, in a lot of what a lot in a lot of ways would have been a short term, sh- yeah. not short sighted, but like a, a, the salary caps going to get even tougher next year and McKinnon's contracts, uh, sets in. So if they had like found a way to move Johnson's contract, that's just kind of kicking the problems down the line. I think really the, the end of the chance of Kadri coming back was when Nachushian signed his extension because that that's I agree that was, that was kind of, the Avs chose the younger guy. They chose the winger, and uh, I don't and that was them. kind of the end. No, I mean it was probably I I, it's it's tough. I think when you look at the fact that Val's been hurt for a lot of this year and hasn't been uh, in the lineup, and Kadri's had another good year, it makes it, it's it's a little like, oh, I don't know if that's Remy, mm-hmm. I mean, but I think Natushkin's four and a half years younger. He's making less money than Kadri is. Like, yeah. Kadri it, it, it makes but ultimately
0: sense. ultimately in my opinion Kadri would have taken the nutrition contract 49 Maybe. it's the same I don't 40, know if, it's the same 49 million it's just over eight instead of seven
1: I don't know if he would have done that at that point in time because you have to remember yeah. that Shushkin did it the day like yeah, at that short, time, either right before free agency started or shortly before. At what? that time, if
0: you're Kadri, cadre, you're thinking you might get the JT Miller, seven years, 8 million, 56, 58 million, even 59 million, 8.3, 8.4 a year. Yes. So, yeah, understandable. So um, I think
1: by the end of it, he probably would have, but I don't yeah. know if he would have. And anyway.
0: I don't think the Avalanche offered that. It's not like they said, hey, take this. And he said no. And then they went to Nechushkin. It wasn't, you know, yeah. Bo Horvat and JT Miller. Uh It was. You know, they picked the younger guy. I think to me, it wasn't just the fact that they signed Val Nachushkin. It was the value in which Nichushkin came in at. Cause like, look, we all saw what Nichushkin did last year, we all saw what he was in the Stanley cup final, but I still coming out of all of that was like, yeah, I could see Nichushkin signing a five-year deal at like 5.6. And then it was an eight-year deal at 6.125. And I'm like, okay. That's what Avan the Tushkin costs, and you know I, I didn't think it was an overpay, but I'm like, if that's what Avalon the Choukkin costs, and that's what they went out and signed, yeah, Kadri's not coming back. So yeah, yeah, just the end of a chapter there. We'll see Nico Sturm here. I'm excited to see Nico Sturm. That guy was really really cool. And and to be honest with you, I'm really excited about having Jack Johnson in a dressing room where we have access to that dressing room. So that's gonna be fun as well. He's always been a great guy to talk to as well.
1: Yeah, really good. One of the better quotes on the team and uh yeah i think and i think that's honestly a big part of this deal was that he was so well they don't make this deal if jack johnson was just a like net neutral in the locker room it's the fact that the team his teammates all really liked him and he clearly was respected and valued that they're bringing him back
0: like you said earlier how much they loved the fact that he was able to be part of everything opening night and and the night before with the ring ceremony that it was just such a huge deal to them and and to him so just feels like it was (laughs) kind of i mean i'm not gonna sit here and say i told you so because a lot of people said it like it made way too much sense i think you were the one that mentioned back in you know training camp or when the season was starting that like they wanted to sign jack johnson he ideally wanted to come back but he had to wait and and the avalanche needed him to wait and he just can't wait. Like you can't miss out on the possible opportunity of having to go in on another PTO. So he made the right move. They made the right move. And now here they are kind of reacquainting themselves. So I'll miss Andreas Englund, but Jack Johnson's back. Uh, But we'll close it out there, Peter. um, This is going to be a very wild five days ahead. A couple of home games coming up for the Avs and the trade deadline on Friday. So I wish you all the best of luck as we get through these next four or five days. (laughs) Um, and with that, any closing thoughts?
1: I think that that should be it for me. I'm um, always good to be on. Gotcha. Awesome.
0: So if you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little hearts. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we out ya.